Brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. Welcome back to Drop Pass Podcast. The NHL postseason is officially underway, and today's episode will cover most of the action from the first three battles of each first-round series. I also will quickly touch upon the biggest headline outside of the playoff picture, which concerns the Calgary Flames and their now former GM Brad Tree living so. If you've happened to miss a few nights worth of NHL highlights or are totally out to lunch when it comes to Calgary's tire fire, do not worry. I'm going to be breaking down those topics for you in this week's episode so that you are right up to pace with all that has happened in the NHL during the past week. But with that said, we are pretty well established for this week's main course, so thanks once again for being here. I really, really appreciate the support. And now, let's get the beat finally going. Without further ado, let's get When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's NBA playoffs time. That means big hoops action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Get in on the excitement of every game with a touch of a button. New customers can make a $5 pregame moneyline bet and score $150 in bonus bets if their team wins. Plus, everyone can score a no-sweat same-game parlay every day during NBA playoffs. Open the DraftKings Sportsbook app, opt-in, and place a same-game parlay on any NBA game. If it doesn't hit, you'll get a bonus bet back up to $10. Download the app now and sign up with code THPN. New customers can make a $5 pregame moneyline bet and score $150 in bonus bets if their team wins. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code THPN. Alright, let's get down to business once again. So this week, I chose to keep things short and simple, and pretty much the only major headline that we are going to cover is the Flames GM saga. Pretty much right after I uploaded the previous episode, former Flames GM Brad Tree Living had announced that he wouldn't be their GM in the upcoming NHL season. And later on, it was cleared out that the main reason for this decision ended up being their head coach, Daryl Sutter. He had been in the helm of the Flames front office since 2014-15 season, so considering his time in Calgary and what they have achieved in that time frame, it's not a complete success story despite the fact that before arriving in Calgary, the team hadn't seen playoffs for five straight seasons. So in that sense, he brought the competitiveness back in Alberta with his arrival. And quite clearly, there is some kind of a good old boys club going on in Calgary as well, because 
if some of the players have already announced their dissatisfaction with their current head coach, and now we hear that the GM himself resigned from his duties due to the same reason, there cannot be anything else behind the curtain, because if it would have been solely on tree living, Suter would have been out of Calgary already earlier this year, and I'm more than sure about that fact. In my opinion, he's been able to turn few horrible situations to a minor W's. For example, the fact that yes, they lost Ketchuk and Goudreau from their roster, but got back Hubie and Uyghur, who still have lots to give for the franchise. I'm more than sure about that. Plus terrific track record from the draft table. So it's really going to be interesting to see who will be the next on the podium, because that seat isn't going to be from the coziest end. That's for sure, given the recent struggles of their franchise. And now that we know that there is a major boys club in the management booth, it makes it just that much more intriguing situation to follow. Because in my mind, if things don't start to turn up for the better soon after the first puck drop next season, Suter has to be the next one out the door. And at that point, part of the snake's head has been cut off. So... We will stay on watch and see what goes on in Calgary before the next NHL campaign rolls around. A surprising move regardless, because I already touched upon this subject in last week's episode and wasn't expecting this kind of results, and I think that I'm not the only one with this opinion. But then it is time to start to unpack the action from the first three games of each series, and... How we are going to do that exactly is by quickly going over the major events and aspects of each game. And as you know, once this episode is live, we have the results of four more games, but those we will cover in the next episode most likely, so we will be focusing on the games that I was able to watch before airing out this show. But to start things off, I have to point out the fact that miraculously, six out of eight away teams took the first games of each playoff series, which is something that I haven't seen in a quite a while. But on the flip side, same amount of teams ended up tying the series after the second game, so the playing field was fairly even after the first two games. But now, let's head to uncover each ongoing matchup. First, we got the Oilers versus Kings battle, and in their first class, Philip Deneau and the Kings were able to shut down Connor McDavid, who almost ended up scoring the goal of the playoffs in the very first period, when he took three Kings players out for lunch, but was stopped by Corpisalo right as the Oils fans started to unload their sacks. Oilers controlled the game for two periods, but didn't close out the game and let the Kings back in, which eventually ended up costing them as Alex Ayafalo scored the game-winning goal in the overtime. Kings defended well in their own zone, and for the most part kept the Oilers away from the high-scoring areas. Evan Bouchard was one of the more visible players on the ice in their first bout, as he played with lots of confidence and ended up going bar down for the first time in the playoffs. Adrian Kempe and Evander Kane were added the entire night, and overall, Kempe was surprise surprised the man of the hour with two Genos, and will be depended upon when it comes to scoring duty for the Kings. But even though the Oilers controlled the game for the most part, Kings were able to claw their way back without Villardi and Fiala and took the first game by the score of 3-4. Drew Doughty was the main man in game one on both sides of the ice as he kept both Drysaddle and McDavid in his chest pocket and was the breakout leader from their own zone. 
Anze Kopitar was also a monster in game one as he first tied up the game in the third period and then assisted the game-winning goal and ended the night with four points in total. Then it was time for game two, and who else but Leon Dreisaitl was the main man on a mission. Oz came out the gates running in game two and dominated the action very much like in the previous bout. They outbattled the Kings and were a force to be reckoned with physically, with lots of big checks. But what was concerning for the Oils was the fact that McDavid seemed to be totally snake-bitten. Partially due to great play from his counterpart, Philip Deneau, who was the main throne in his back already in last year's playoffs. Oils though ended up depleting their momentum in the second period and let the Kings back in the game just like in game one. And at this point... I once again realized that the Kings weren't just going to fade away like last year and wouldn't give anything away for free. Stuart Skinner had a bad night in net and needs to be better if he also wants to fight for the cup this year. Meanwhile, Clem Costin has surfaced as one of the more noticeable players on their lineup due to his physical game and earned his first playoff goal in the third period in Game 2. This time, though, the Oz were able to keep the Kings in bay and secured their first W on the whole mice. Game 3 started off with some drama, as the first 10 minutes of the game were plagued with penalties for both sides, as the temper started to flare inside the Crypto.com arena. The Kings came to Game 3 much better than how they entered the first two away games, hit the post twice behind Stuart Skinner, and eventually took the lead at the end of the first because of Edmonton's total defensive breakdown, as Alex Ayafalo was again completely left alone in front of the Oilers' goal. Kings defended the slot extremely well and kept the Oilers on the perimeter for the most of the game, but at the 12-minute mark, the Oilers got on the power play, and Mac cheat code show was officially on, as he locked up his wrist twice and spanked the puck in the top cheddar to give the Oilers 2-1 lead. But only minutes after the second goal, Adrian Kempe tied the game up with a nasty slapper on the power play, which was awarded to them due to Leon Drysaddle, who took a really stupid penalty in the celebration of McDavid's second goal. After that, the Oz took the control over and had chances to take the lead, but King's defense held on and teams entered the third period in a tight game. Evander Kane was in the middle of the action once again, which shouldn't surprise anyone, and quite truthfully, the Oils would need more from him other than just agitation and physical play if they want to beat these guys within the seven-game series. The third period was just like the previous two, both teams having great opportunities to end the game from prime scoring chances, but eventually the two teams went to overtime where the Kings came up on top once again with Trevor Moore's game-winning goal right from the crease area. And the decider didn't come without any controversy since the puck hit Villardi's stick right before the goal itself, while it was way above the high-sticking level. But the referees decided that since the puck was deflected to Villardi's stick, instead of him playing the puck outside of the limit range, the goal was a good goal, which I don't completely agree with. But the fact now is that the series was back in Los Angeles' control, so once again, the Oilers just were not able to close out the game despite multiple opportunities. And just like in previous games, they weren't able to stay disciplined and let the Kings stay in the game due to multiple power plays. 
Matias Ekholm has been outstanding on the Oils blue line. Meanwhile, Kings' goalie Jonas Korpisalo has been the man on the Kings' crease and exactly what the Kings need if they aim to advance far in the postseason with second most saves in the playoffs. Drew Doughty has been the main villain of all their stories thus far and has fully heartedly enjoyed the playoff atmosphere after missing the entire previous postseason due to an injury. So, in conclusion, for some reason the Oils tend to ease on the gas pedal, which leads to Kings clawing their way back to games when they should just focus on keeping the puck in the offensive zone and tiring out the Kings 5 with their forecheck and offensive cycles. And that is something that they must work on, because if it isn't addressed soon enough, it might not matter if Drysaddle and McDavid score two goals each, because the Kings have shown that they make comebacks, so kill switch has to be switched on in the Oilers locker room if they aim for a long spring season regarding playoff hockey. But highly physical and entertaining series as a whole. First game between Mini and Dallas was exactly what everyone had offered. Extremely physical contest with high pace end-to-end action. Wild ended up being the first team on the board as Jared Spurgeon put one in from the point at the end of the first period, but after the first intermission, Wild took a two-minute penalty, and only seconds later, Rope Hintz tied the game up with a nasty wrister right from the face-off. And as the saying goes, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And since the Stars were in a similar situation only moments later, they decided to repeat that same play, but from the other side, and J. Rob ended up finding the net from the right side, and the crowd in the American Airlines Center was pumping once again. Jake Ottinger was really tested in the second period, and eventually Wild ended up tying the game up at the end of the second when Sam Steele took off to a breakaway and buried the puck to the top left corner of Dallas's net. But right before the Wild's tying goal, we saw the most controversial event of the game as the Wild defenseman Matt Dumba buried Joe Pavelski in the D zone and the veteran had to exit the game due to the collision. Max Domi of course took exception to the head, and pretty much everyone has their own point of view of the hit, but to me what caused the most damage in the collision was the fact that Pavelski hit his head when falling to the ice, and I'm surely not saying that the hit wasn't a bit late, but even Joe knows that this is the reality of playoff hockey. Some hits are right in the gray area, and you need to be ready to take those hits. So for me, this was at tops worth a two-minute minor, but certainly not a game misconduct worthy hit. Regardless, though, I hope that Pavelski would be able to make his comeback within these playoffs because he's such an integral part of their first line. So if he's not able to return onto the ice, it brings a lot of question marks to their path towards the Stanley Cup. But the third period was much like the first two, ruthless end-to-end action where goaltenders needed to stretch through their limits in order to keep their teams in game. And same rules applied to the first overtime, as both netminders were on the spotlight for the entire 20 minutes of play. Brian Hartman battled through a minor injury, and ended up being the player that decided the game in the second period of overtime and clinched the first W for the Wild from this series. And it really was a game of small margins quite literally since Brock Faber's stick and the shaft of Gustafsson's stick saved the game for the Wild, so 
it really could have gone either way. And this time the Stars didn't have the luck on their side and headed to game two down one game. The game two was full on Ropehin's show, featuring two breakaway tucks and one backdoor tap in. The Stars just completely manhandled the Wild in game two and secured their first win of the series on home mice. Dallas came out the gates running with lots of energy and snatched the momentum straight from the start and dominated the action for the rest of the game. For some unexplainable reason, Mini decided to go with Flurry between their pipes and I get that they might have wanted to rest Gus because the first game went to double overtime and he was under pressure for most of the game, but still, with the win from their second game, they could have headed home with a 2-0 series lead, but after that experiment, we can all agree that Gustafsson will be their starter in the remaining games, and Flurry will ride the bench until further notice. Mini's defense was lacking in their second clash, and although the Stars ended up scoring seven goals in their net, it wasn't all on Flurry, because Wild looked stunned right from the start and couldn't match Dallas's pace and energy level at all. Stars' power play was a major difference in this game and looks to be in postseason form. And while Hakanpa's penalty in the second period flipped the script and Wild got back in the game with two quick goals, Dallas was able to hold on and tied the series after two games. And very much like in their first game, this bout was very, very physical, and we saw lots of chippiness right from the first puck drop. Game 3 followed the same script, where we saw intense end-to-end action. Mini took the driver's seat by a small margin while Philip Gustafsson was back between their pipes for their home opener. And after 60 minutes of play, Walt tucked home the game's first goal as Matsukarello forced the puck in right from the Dallas' crease. John Klingberg and Joel Eriksson Ek made their returns to Mini's lineup, and Klingberg ended up being a major difference maker in this game with two assists. Meanwhile, Joe Pavelski was still missing from the Stars' first line and didn't travel with the team to Twin Cities, so his return is still in question when it comes to the remaining games of their first-round series. Matt Dumba and Mason Marchment were once again right in the middle of everything and were pretty much hitting everything that moved a muscle. Wild were on the board yet again at the beginning of the second, as we saw intensity only increasing from the first period, and both teams ended up lighting the lamp within just moments from each other before Wild increased their lead to 3-1 in the middle of the second period. Without a doubt, this series has been the most physical in the playoffs and the fact that both teams had more hits than shots on goal after two periods is a real proof of that. Marcus Foligno was an absolute menace in this game with huge checks and as a reward got the game-winning goal to his name. Meanwhile, Brock Faber has been outstanding for the Wild as well and has stepped right into their lineup and has looked surprisingly comfortable in the bright lights. Mini hit the post a handful of times so the game could have been out of Dallas's reach within two periods, but luck ended up being on Dallas's side and the game was really tight until Matt Zuccarello put the game in bed in the third period. Philip Gustafsson was yet again a major part of their win, so if the Wild gets this kind of goaltending consistently throughout the playoffs, they are going to be a tough team to play against thanks to their tough physical style of hockey and tight defensive game. 
The first game of the Gaines Isle series was an absolute snooze fest, like Biz Nasty said. And quite honestly, I didn't even have the patience to follow all the action and just chose to settle for the highlights after the game, so that will be the reason why there won't be too many notes from the game one. But simply, as expected, the Canes outskated the Isles in game one, which featured tight defensive game from both teams involved. And if you were surprised by that, you haven't checked the game notes, because like I said in my preview, this series was going to be 100% a defensive battle and could put few fans to sleep exactly because of it. The Isles had their chances to keep things tight, but the goal scoring became to be once again a major problem for them, which eventually resulted in them losing their first battle in the 2023 NHL playoffs. Elias Rockin kept them in the game, and on the other end, Ranta was very solid for the Canes, while the deciding factor of their first game ended up being the Canes' power play, which finally found success after major struggles in the regular season. Canes locked down their defensive zone and kept the Isles in the perimeter for the most part, except for a handful of chances which the Isles should have used to tie up the game. And in typical Canes fashion, they caused a lot of trouble with their forechecks, so pretty much the script was on point for Game 1 in North Carolina. In Game 2, the Isles got absolutely hosed by the refs and lost the game in overtime due to an uncalled high-sticking penalty. Through two games, the Isles shot themselves in the foot by taking absolutely stupid penalties which didn't help their cause one bit. And even though all of them didn't lead to goals against, they lost a lot of 5-on-5 time and gave control to the Canes, which isn't the wisest thing to do when you are going up against a team that loves to play with the puck. After all, it's much harder to score goals when you are down a man than what it is at an even strength. And... When you are a team that is known across the globe for the inability to score goals, especially on the power play, it isn't the smartest strategy, at least in my opinion. Jacob Slavin scored the Kane's first goal, which was a beautiful snipe from a tough angle, and what ended up being the deciding play of this game was the all Sebastian Ajo's home run swing, which ended up helping the Kane's a ton as he scored one of the weirdest own goals that I've ever seen where he swatted the puck from mid-air straight into his own cage, where Sorokin was totally asleep and didn't anticipate a shot from his own defenseman. But just like in their first clash, the Canes dominated action offensively and the game as a whole was a defensive battle through and through. Alls were just outskated for two straight games, but just like in the regular season, they were still able to hang around and scored few goals to keep things close despite that. Ranta wasn't on his best in Game 2 and needs to be better if the Canes aim to advance further in the playoffs because the last thing they want to face now with massive injuries already on their platter is a goaltending dilemma, so we'll see if he's able to elevate his game the further this series advances. And the fact of the matter is that the Canes are really getting banged up physically and the most recent addition to their IR list ended up being Teuvo Teravainen who got viciously slashed at the end of the game too, and has to undergo surgery to repair his broken hand, which will mean at least a month's worth of rehab, so he won't return to their lineup at least within this first round series. 
We'll see how much that will end up affecting their play because already Svechnikov and Pacioretty are missing from their top six. And it is obvious that they can't lose that many players from their roster anymore or otherwise they might as well hand off the keys and head straight towards the closest links. But as I mentioned, game two ended with some controversy as Jesper fast high sticking didn't get called and he eventually went and scored the game-winning goal just seconds later after the incident. But as I say that, I also got to mention that Mayfield, who took fast stick in the face, should have just focused on the play. Because after he noticed that it wasn't called, he started skating towards the closest ref as fast entered the zone and ended the game for the case. So that play alone left a bitter taste in my mouth, especially as the game was much better than the first one. And otherwise very close and physical battle, so I would have hoped for a better ending for otherwise great game. The game three between these two teams, though, was a different one where we saw more high-danger scoring chances, and on the roster front, Alex Romanov made his return to the Isles lineup, and Jesse Pulujärvi was inserted back in the game's fourth line due to Teravainen's injury in game two. Highlanders crowd was all in in this game as we could expect and Matt Martin blew up the crowd right at the beginning of the first by laying out the game's defenseman Jalen Chatfield near the boards. The UBS Arena woke up again in the second period as Casey Zizekis scored the game's first goal after two massive penalty kills and very deservedly scored a well-earned first goal in the playoffs. That joy didn't last for long though, because at the end of the second period the Isles wasted another power play and Keynes ended up scoring on the penalty kill in the aftermath of sloppy play and careless defending from some of their top players. But fortunately for the Isles that didn't end up costing them and the plays got fired up again after Carl Palmieri tipped the puck in in the third after another wasted power play. And after that it was Oprah time since within minutes. Also, Matt Martin, Anders Lee, and Scott Mayfield ended up scoring, so the all stacked home their first win of the series, and this way made things interesting when heading to the third class between these two teams. But it goes without saying that the all power play has just been abysmal throughout the entire year, and the Canes might as well play most of the game down a manicus. The best the Alls can do on the power play is play keep away between themselves, but with that said, I also gotta give some respect for the Kane's penalty kill, since it has been top-notch the entire year and has showed in this matchup exactly why that is. But if the Isles don't start to figure out something soon enough, they will be facing tough times in the future since in the playoffs, close games are decided on the power play, and if that is your biggest weakness, you can expect great results against teams that are lethal in that aspect of the game. The identity line of Matt Martin, Casey Zizekas, and Cal Clutterbuck was tremendous in this game with their patented physical element. And as the last note, I have to tip my cap to Kane's first pairing of Jacob Slavin and veteran Brent Burns because they've been rock solid for the Hurricanes so far and bring a lot of confidence for the entire team with their great two-way play. They have undoubtedly been one of the top pairings of the first round and will eat big minutes in the remaining games of this series just like they have done to this point. But pretty much, this matchup has gone according to plan which includes tight defensive games without too many high danger scoring chances and lots of physical play and penalties, especially from the Isles side. 
Then we have the series between the Boston Bruins and the Florida Panthers. And I gotta say that Boston wasn't on their elite level in game one, but controlled the action in the first period and ended up being strong enough to secure the W at the end of three periods. Partially thanks to Ulmark, who had another great show in between their pipes in B-Town. Alex Lyon got the starting honors for the Panthers, and rightfully so, because he kept the Cats in the game with multiple big saves, but ended up surrendering one soft goal, which became to be costly for the Panthers, because they couldn't find the back of the net, and Bees added another one to seal the game for the home team. The game-winning goal also ended up being kind of a weird one, because Jake DeBrusk hit the puck in from on top of Lyon's pad, which wasn't secured, and some fans thought that it shouldn't have counted, but since DeBrusk didn't interfere with Lyon any way, the goal counted and the Bees ended up marching away from their first battle with a 1-0 series lead. Overall, the first game was more even than what the score tells, and like we could expect beforehand, we saw a lot of physical battles which were highlighted by Matthew Kajak. Surprise, surprise. Charlie Coyle and Connor Clifton, and that action also continued in the next games of this series. In-game, the Panthers used every chance they got and showed that the Bruins were not untouchable unlike many expected before the series started. Boston's defense was really lacking in this game, and overall sloppy puck position game with multiple costly turnovers led to them heading to Sunrise in a 1-1 situation. Game was really chippy and tied overall for two full periods, even though most of the dangerous chances fell to the Bees before the game fell apart in the third. Florida got Sam Bennett back to their lineup for game two, who ended up opening the scoring in the opening minutes of the second period. Ten minutes later, the Bees got one back after a horrible turnover where Marshawn picked up a pizza from the middle of the Ozone and sniped one past Leon, but that didn't hold for too long as the Gets came back to take the lead when Eric Stahl put one past Linus Olmark. Before the third period, the Bees though ended up tying the game back up again with Tyler Bertuzzi's power play goal, but at the start of the third period, Brandon Montour found an opening on Olmark's glove side and sniped one right where the granny keeps his memoirs. And after that goal, the turnover started to pile up for the Bees, and it was downhill from that point on, as Kari Verhege, Brandon Montour, and Etu Lostrenen added Genos to their score sheet and nailed the game down for the Cats. Taylor Hall got one back, but it was all over already at that point. Nick Folino also returned to their lineup for game two and brought some extra depth to their bottom six, but the series was 1-1 before heading to Sunrise for game three. Charlie McAvoy, who has been an absolute wrecking ball in this series, kicked the third game off by flattening Eetu Luostrinen on their defensive blue line which set the tone for the rest of the first period. Taylor Hall was able to find an opening on Lyon's glove side early in the first period, and seemingly the Bees had figured out his weakness, because ever since the first game, they started to heavily target his glove side, and with fairly decent results, if I may say so. The first period was great end-to-end -end action with good scoring chances on both ends of the ice, but as the second period started, the Bees began to control the game and spent much more time in the Ozone than the Cats. And that eventually led to success as they scored the game's second goal on the sixth minute with a tremendous tip-in from Charlie Coyle, who was very noticeable in this game, and used the extra ice time to his advantage. 
The Cats started to turn over the puck before their offensive blue line, which led to lots of odd man rushes and because of that, the Bees started to gain more puck possession. And the Cats couldn't really test Ulmark, whereas Leon was once again the failsafe in their crease, who made few huge saves to keep the Cats in the game, and seemingly also had passed an axe number until the third period, when Pasta finally beat him cleanly after a handful of one-time chances from the slot, which Leon was able to grab. Shasha Barkov has been very silent in this series in regards to expectations of being their captain and number one center, so he really needs to step up if the Cats want to steal any more Ws from the Bruins in this series. Panthers head coach Paul Maurice decided to shake things up and threw Sergei Bobrovsky between their pipes after the third goal to see if he could be the starter for them when the puck drops for the fourth time. And eventually, the Panthers were able to beat Ulmar twice in the third period, but that wasn't enough and the Bees end up walking away with another win in their back pocket. Bruins roster depth was really on display in this game since they were missing both of their top two centers David Krejci and Patrice Bergeron in this game but were still able to juggle their lineup and take their first W from away ice. They defended well and were strong in their D zone while Olmark bounced back to his elite level which resulted in a B's win and a 2-1 series late before the fourth game of this matchup. Matthew Ketchuk, Tyler Bertuzzi, Ryan Lomberg, Brad Kogudas and few others have added lots of energy to this matchup. And we've seen many dance partners every night, which is something that we are not expecting to change before the final whistle of this series. Patrice Bergeron has so far missed each game of the series and is expected to be out until at least the fifth game due to an elbow injury which is not good news for the Bees when considering their Stanley Cup odds. In the first game between the Knights and the Jets, Winnipeg was able to completely shut down the Knights, control the action and created most of the dangerous scoring chances. And this was exactly what I talked about in the previous episode, where you really can anticipate what you get from them each night, and this time it was probably their best performance in the entire season, So. As I said, on their best, they can beat any team in this league and showcase that trade in this away game in Las Vegas. Jets defended well, especially the neutral zone, and kept the Knights on the perimeter in their D zone. And for the most of the night, the Knights looked outpaced, outplayed, and disinterested, which translated to their fan base, which ended up showing their frustration by walking away before the second intermission. I don't know if they were expecting to just walk past the Jets because their effort level was nowhere to be seen and as they noticed, that certainly wasn't going to happen in this series. Their play lack rhythm and cohesiveness and most of their attacks ended up being just dump-ins, which made it easy for the Jets to start their own rushes from their own zone. And also, Knights lacked emotion and were just complete participants in this game and overall, it was an extremely underwhelming home opener for their playoff journey. Hellebuck was solid when he needed to be, and Brassois stopped enough pucks to give them a chance to win the game. But there was just zero urgency in their game, and lack of cycle play led to scoring chances which were few and far in between. And as a result, one of the wildest home crowds in the league was silenced, and eventually ended up booing the home team, so... That should tell you a lot 
about their performance in game one. But this may have been a much needed reality check because they came to the second game with a totally different attitude. And what was the main headline from this game was Morgan Barron's injury where he got brutally cut by Lauren Brosuaskade and was expected to be out of their lineup for the rest of the night. But lo and behold, after 75 stitches and a cage, the guy came back to their bench and was back in action without missing a beat. Brosuaskade went only a few centimeters from his eye, but still, his first thought was, did the puck go in? So it's safe to say that hockey players are just different breed. But in conclusion, the Jets just walked the Knights out of their own building in every possible way, dominated the physical battles, and the score at the end of 60 minutes ended up showing. Dubois was undoubtedly one of the more visible players in Game 1, while Hellebuck and Adam Lowry were the other X-Factors of Game 1. But like I said, Knights came to Game 2 with more pep on their step and took a big home W in their second outing, and this was exactly what I expected to see out of them already in their first game, so to me it was a great sign to see them bouncing back from one of the worst displays that I've ever seen from them. Brosua was huge for the Knights in this game and has continued his strong form from the regular season, whereas the Jets' top names, Connor, Hellebuck, Shifley, Dubois, Morrissey and Wheeler, were the most notable names on the Jets' lineup through two games. Knights gave up too many odd man rushes to the Jets and really had trouble breaking out of their zone at times with the puck, but once they've been able to utilize their speed and got into the offensive zone, their rush offense has been fairly potent like we saw in Game 2. Knight's power play was also careless, especially in the first game, and it needed big improvements for the rest of the series. And one of the more surprising aspects for me from their game has been the lack of pace at times, but in the second game, we saw more of that, and thus, we saw them taking their first win of the series. But in order to gain more dangerous scoring chances, the Knights would need to get the puck in deep more consistently and to establish more ozone cycles to find more success offensively, because so far, that has been their biggest weapon throughout the year, and they need to get into Hellebuck's grill to find the open spots, and to sneak you past them. And they were also better in the dirty areas of the offensive zone, which showed in the score sheet, and as we know, in playoffs you need to be willing to do that, and because of their willingness, they eventually found success and timed the series 1-1. to Willem Carlson came up big for the Knights in two games with two tucks, and Mark Stone has officially made his comeback to the scene after a woeful first game and showed his clutch element in their second matchup, which is something that the Knights are going to need during their postseason run. Game 3 between these two teams started with some fireworks as big boys Brendan Dillon and Keegan Colesar went at it after Colesar absolutely clobbered Jets centerman Adam Lowry in their offensive zone. A massive hit, and he just scrums highlighted the first minutes of the game, but the Golden Knights ended up being the first team on the board, as Chandler Stevenson sniped one past the big net wonder Connor Hellebuck in the first period. Couple minutes later, the Knights struck again as Jack Eichel potted his first career postseason goal on an one-timer, but very soon after, Kyle Connor tipped in his second of the postseason from a terrific feat from Dylan DeMello and narrowed the lead down to just one. 
Jets carried their momentum to the second period and had good chances to tie up the game. But at the 10-minute mark, Jets defenseman Dylan Sandberg took a tripping penalty and Jack Eichel blasted his second of the night from the left circle to make it 1-3 for the visiting team. And right before the second intermission, Keegan Kolesar, who got things started in the first, tipped a rebound past Hellebuck, and the Knights headed to the third with a three-goal lead, but that is pretty much when the downfall started for Vegas. First, Nino Niederreiter narrowed the lead down to two goals at the start of the third, with a terrific wrist shot off the rush, which of course fired up the crowd at the Canadian Tire Center. Then Mark Scheifele brought the Jets back to one goal game by scoring on the power play, and eventually, who else but Adam Lowry capped off their tremendous comeback by tying up the game in the final minute of the third period. The Knights completely fell apart in the third, but luckily that didn't end up costing them because Michael Amadio buried the game-winner in the second overtime after a costly turnover by Dylan Sandberg. Both teams had chances to close the game down before that, but with Amadio's game-winner, the Knights take a 2-1 series lead when heading to Game 4 in Winnipeg. And to make things even worse, it was also announced that their star defenseman Josh Morrissey was going to be out of their lineup after exiting the game in the early first period after a collision with Zach Whitecloud. A lower body injury will keep him out of their lineup for the rest of the series, and it is still unknown if he will be able to come back to their lineup if the Jets end up making it past the first round. So the Jets have to figure out a way to replace him, and most likely Neil Pionk and Nate Schmid will take up most of the offensive responsibility for the remaining games of their battle. Then we have the Avs Kraken series, which started with a bang as the playoff virgins took a massive away win from their first battle in Ball Arena. Avs netminder Alexander Georgiev looked extremely shaky, whereas Grubauer was solid in the Kraken crease and seemed to be playing with a chip on his shoulder, thanks to his history with the Avalanche squad. Kraken continued to cause problems because of their four-line rotation and pressure, which was the big difference in Game 1, and will eventually be the deciding factor in this series for them, because the Avs will rely upon their big stars, and if Kraken can shut down those guys and run four lines against their more defensive options, they will have a chance to clinch this series, but it's still ways away, so let's just leave the speculation there. The Avs couldn't really create any offense through their bottom two lines, and even their second line had trouble creating any dangerous scoring chances in the first game. Kraken, on the other hand, didn't change a thing from the regular season, and the biggest difference in Game 1 was the offensive depth between the two teams, so what brought the Kraken here carried them to their first postseason victory as well against the defending Stanley Cup champs. They were able to match Avs' energy and caused a lot of headache with their far check, which was expected. And the biggest pointers from the game one for the Avs were very inconsistent play and the fact that they need to heavily rely on their top six offensively much, much more than just the year prior. Seattle outworked the defending champs and were able to minimize Avs' first line dangerous scoring chances by taking away time and space from their most skilled players as well as by keeping them away from the high-scoring areas. Avs Forchik was almost non-existent in Game 1, and as a result, Kraken got out of their own zone way too easily, 
and they used their opportunities very well when they got to the offensive zone. Nathan McKinnon was double-teamed almost the entire night, which eventually led to some frustration, but this is exactly how you wake up the sleeping beast playoff, Nathan McKinnon. And to put it simply, Kraken beat the Avs in their own game, had great transition and rush play, and used all their four lines to outduel the opposing team. In the start of the second game, Georgia once again looked extremely shaky, but ended up improving his play in the second period and made some big, big saves to keep the Avs in the game in their second bout. Avs seemed very careless at the start yet again, and Kraken ended up punishing them for it early on with a quick goal. The Kraken had outworked them in four periods, and you could now start to send some real frustration from the Avs top players because they realized that they wouldn't get anything for free from this matchup, but after the Avs scored their first goal of the game, we saw a complete momentum shift as the Avs got their mojo back, engine going, and tied up the game in under 50 seconds. Grubauer, like I said, has clearly been playing with the chip on his shoulder and won the goalie battle very cleanly after two games. Kraken's four-line rotation had been venomous for the Avs, and kudos to Hextall for preparing the team this way, because no one expected them to give any trouble for the Avs in this series. But at least, that was the case for their first two battles. They've been ready to fight in all three games of the series, whereas the Avs have expected to just get something because of their champ status, but I've come to a realization that it won't be that easy when it's all said and done. Coming back from a 2-0 deficit, though, was a major boost to their confidence, so they headed to Seattle with full bag and aimed to grab another win to their pocket from the away ice. The Kraken fans got to blow the roof off of Climate Pledge Arena early on in the first period, since before five minutes had gone by, Jaden Swartz tipped one right in, and the Kraken gained the lead for the third time in this series. Avs were the team with the most dangerous scoring chances in the first period and were finally awarded with a goal after Daniel Sprong tripped on the defensive blue line and JT Comfer finished off a partial breakaway on a penalty kill. And right before the end of the first, Nate McKinnon finally got his first stock of this series as he cut off a pass on 4-on-4 situation and galloped this way to a clean breakaway which eventually led to Avs heading to the first intermission with a one-goal lead. Philip Grubauer came up big for the Kraken once again in the first, with few very big saves that kept the game close. But in the early second period, Kale McCarr blasted one past Grubauer straight out of faceoff, and the Avs started to show who are really the defending champs, and for what reason. Avs grabbed the steering wheel after that goal, and caused a lot of problems for the Kraken with their transition offense. But before the end of the second period, the two-meter ballerina, Jamie Oleksiak, pulled out his soft hands and put the puck past Georgiev on his backhand. And only minutes later, rookie Matty Beniers pressed the crease and even up the game before the final period, which meant that their building was alive yet again. Mikko Rantanen silenced the crowd right at the start of the third, and just minutes later, Nathan McKinnon put on an absolute show in the offensive zone by breaking down two pairs of ankles within 30 seconds, and by snapping one ride in the top TD past Grubauer, and this way moved the Avs to a 3-5 lead. 
The lead held, and eventually Mikko Rantanen closed the game down by putting the puck in the open net before Jaden Swartz registered his second of the night before the final whistle, but at that point, the game was already in the books, so it ended up being just a stat marker for the veteran. But what we saw in this game was the Avs' big boys finally bringing out their A game, and due to it, the defending Stanley Cup champs moved on to a 2-1 series lead after losing their first bout on the whole mice. At the end of the day, they don't possess as deep of a roster as last year, so the top names had to step up way more than during last year's push. Meanwhile, Kraken's work ethic has just been something amazing to watch, and I gotta say that I underestimated them before this series, and have learned to really regret it afterwards. Lekkonen has been electric for the Avs through three games. Meanwhile, Tanev and Gord have brought a lot of energy for the Kraken squad with their gritty two-way play. But unlike many other series, these two teams have stayed calm and poised for the most part, and we haven't seen a lot of bad blood between many players, so in that sense, this matchup has differentiated a lot from the others. And then we got the most anticipated first round matchup between the Bolts and the Leafs. And I gotta say that in their first game, the Leafs looked as soft as a puppy shit for most of the game, but also slow and discombobulated while being stepped behind the Bolts the entire way. Tampa played extremely sound team defense and looked like the team we saw advancing to the cup finals during the past few years. Vasi as well looked extremely poised and ready to carry the team far in this year's playoffs, so what I said to myself after the first game was that the Leafs can't give Bolts as many opportunities on power play as they did in game one, because we all know how lethal they can be at their best. And if they keep visiting the box, it's going to be a short series, so quite simply, stupid and lazy penalties mostly cost them the first game of this series. Leafs defensemen looked flat-booted the entire night and had trouble getting the puck out of their zone, whereas the entire team lacked pace and energy from their game, so it was overall a very sluggish showing. But despite that, they managed to show some grit within the three periods, and what caused the most noise in the first game was Michael Bunning, who was kicked out of the game due to an illegal check to the head in response to a previous tussle with Bolts defenseman Eric Chernak, who was injured in the collision. And this was another bunting-esque retaliation brain fart which you could see coming from a mile away. And as a result, he was suspended for three games and will be out of the lineup until the fifth game of the series. Ilya Samsonov's performance as well left lots to hope for, and he really didn't look like a guy who could backstop them to a finals appearance. Bolts created a massive dent to Samsonov's confidence in Game 1, and some Leafs fans already started to lose their hopes because of a subpar performance from their netfinder. Additionally, like I said, defensemen were not on top of their game in this first game, and for example, Justin Hall and veteran defenseman Mark Giordano were just absolutely brutal. Meanwhile, Bolts defenseman Victor Hedman and Eric Chernak were battling through injuries, which forced both of them to play less minutes than what they are usually accustomed to. And just so that the injuries wouldn't rock Tampa's boat already enough, also Michael Esimond was lined out of the game too, due to a big hit he received from Jake McCabe in the first bout. But as the last note, 
I gotta point out the fact that Corey Perry really had Toronto's crowd, as well as the entire Leafs roster in his chest pocket. And that is exactly why he's been so important for their team. Because he can and will get under the opposing team's skin. But this game could have just been the wake up call the Leafs needed, because they improved their game in the following two games. And the Leafs came out of the gates for game two with a totally different energy and lit up the lamp in just under a minute. Gio showed the way for the boys at the start and got the crowd going after a woeful showing in the first matchup, which was a total veteran move and what the crowd also craved for after the carnival in their first game. Bolts were missing both Serenok and Hedman from their lineup, which really showed in their play because they had big problems in getting the puck out of their zone with solid tape-to-tape passes, and defensively, they almost seemed to have holes without these two giants. And Leafs ended up taking advantage of that and used their chance as well, which led to a blowout result. Bolts got back their deadline acquisition, Tanner Genoa, who came back earlier than what was anticipated, and got right into middle of things by scrapping with the Leafs tank, Luke Shen. Leafs ended up dominating the action in the first period, but Bolts came to the second period with vengeance in their mind and ended up scoring their first goal within just minutes of the puck drop. And after that goal, they took control of the game for a moment until the Leafs' fourth line went to work and put another one behind Vasi, which pretty much shifted the momentum back to the Leafs' side. And shortly after that, Mitch Marner got a lucky one which deflected off of Brandon Hagel's stick and the game was pretty much over at that point. Leafs' bottom six really improved their play for the second game, and guys like Achiari, Lafferty, and Asteris were very noticeable in the second bout. Samsonov also responded extremely well to his woeful first game, and if he keeps his level, the Leafs should have a real chance of advancing from this series. And even Justin Hall improved massively from the first bout, so... If the Leafs play like this for the rest of the series, it's going to be a tough task to beat them, especially if they can get rid of stupid penalties, which cost them the first game. The crowd as well really responded well, and while during the first game the Leafs were booed off the ice, this time the team received a standing ovation after each period, so the arena was pumping throughout the whole night, which most likely brought a lot of energy for the home team. Matthews, Marner, Nylander and Tavares all had a different gear in the second game, and eventually the blowout led to few fights as well, so it's safe to say that this series was far from over as they headed to Tampa. For Game 3, Victor Hedman made his return to the Bolts lineup, and like in the previous battle, the scoring began quick after the first puck drop as Noel Achari beat Vasilevsky low on the stick side for the first goal. The lead didn't last long though, since just minute and 26 seconds later, Anthony Shirelli finished off a 2-on-1 rush chance, and the Emilia Arena was right back at it to support their home team. At the 12th minute, Austin Matthews brought the lead back to Leafs side with a tip-in, but just before the first intermission, Bolts were able to tie the game back up and took control of the action after their second goal. Samsonov looked really shaky in the first period as he fumbled in their crease, but took few massive saves to start the second and gained back his confidence, which was much needed as the Leafs were the ones defending for most of the second period. 
Then Bolts defenseman Darren Reddish, who was promoted to their lineup for the playoffs, ended up finding the back of the net at the end of the second. And before the period ended, we saw some controversy yet again, as the Bolts goal was called back because the refs had lost a side to the puck before Braden Point tipped it in, in between the legs of Samsonov, who had no clue where the puck had gone before the whistle. So, the Bolts would have headed to the third period up by two goals, which ended up costing them, and at that point, it looked like the Bolts were going to cruise the victory, but the second intermission came at a perfect time, and the Leafs were able to round up their troops and headed to the third period to tie up the game. The third period started off with some major fireworks as Braden Point got injured in a collision with Morgan Riley, and to me Riley had no intention to injure Point in that battle, but Point just ended up being overpowered in the collision and crashed to the boards as the end result. So to me the call was justified, luckily he was able to make his comeback to the ice chest minutes after the incident, and taking into account Point's last year's postseason faith, it wasn't surprising to see a lone brattle ensuing the incident, where even Stammer, Gooch, and Matthews ended up dropping the gloves and headed to serve five-minute penalties to the penalty box. The Leafs stayed at it though, and tied the game up minute before the final whistle, and the teams were headed to the overtime after Bolts controlled the game for two full periods. Nikita Kucherov took over in the overtime and had a real chance to lock the game down for the Bolts as he walked the Leafs defense, but Samsonov stayed poised and saved the game for the Leafs squad. And despite the fact that the Leafs were pretty much just surviving in the overtime, they ended up taking the W from this game after Morgan Riley sniped one in from the point just minute before the end of the first overtime. Victor Hedman was hands down the Bolts' best player in this game. Meanwhile, Ryan O'Reilly and Matthew Nees were the top performers for the Leafs in my eyes as they head to their fourth class with two wins to one. So in conclusion, a very dramatic third battle between these two teams. And if the Bolts want to advance from this bout, Vasilevsky really needs to pick up his game because so far his performances have been mediocre at best so. He needs to be better in the final games of the series if they aim to advance further in the playoffs. And then we have the final matchup between the New York Rangers and the New Jersey Devils. The Devils were completely asleep in the first period of the first bout, and the Rangers were just cruel and punished them for napping on shift with few quick strides. Rangers' first pairing of Ryan Lindgren and Adam Fox was rock solid, and overall their entire decor were just breaks to play against, which enabled them to pretty much shut down the entire Devils' offensive firepower. They were also able to eliminate Devils' speed through the neutral zone, and if they managed to get past the offensive blue line, they filled their D zone well and were men amongst boys when it came to tough areas around their crease. Rangers were also more willing to attack the center and thus had the better offensive chances and in this game, vintage Adam Fox came to play which was expected after a somewhat underwhelming regular season point-wise. Get four points and four blocks in game one and will be one of the main reasons why the Rangers will end up hoisting the cup at the end of the postseason as you know. Rangers came out of the gates very physically and won the physical battles and their kid line of Lafreniere, Hedl and Kakko did a heck of a job of keeping the energy up, but they as a team 
need to pick things up if they want to hold leads in the future as well. Confidence won this game for them, and you could almost sense the difference between the two teams where the Devils played a regular season game, but the Rangers just put on the postseason gear where they were tough and patient, whereas Devils dabbled around the ice and were picked apart in two periods. Vitek Vanacek wasn't great either, which was somewhat alarming to see after just three periods of postseason hockey. Then it was time for game two, and showtime was in the house, baby. If you doubted Patrick Kane, well, he probably served you your lunch, because in game two, we started to see some glimpses of the prime heartbreaker himself with one goal and two apples. We witnessed another very energetic and physical start for game two and saw a lot of chippiness right from the first puck drop in the form of few scrums after the whistles. The kit line once again brought a lot of energy to the Rangers game and clearly their last season playoff run brought a lot of confidence for these guys. They clogged up the neutral zone in the first period very well which eventually resulted in the Devils losing pucks in the middle of the ice and forced a lot of icings. But in the second, the momentum completely shifted to the Rangers and, and early in the third period the game was already 4-1 and that was pretty much it when it came to second game of this series. Rangers power play buried the Devils yet again so if they aim to steal any more than one game from this series they need to stay disciplined and out of the penalty box guess, the Rangers power play has just been outstanding and will take every opportunity to make the opposition pay for any stupid penalties. Experience and poise were just too much for the Devils in game two. Things got really chippy at the end of the third period and we ended up seeing quite a few scrums which led to the Zebra sending like six players to the dressing rooms which was something I hadn't seen ever before. And Devils had few chances in the third but for the most part, the Rangers controlled the action on ice and made it look almost too easy. And the question after game two was going to be who will be the starter for the first game at MSG, because so far, Vanacek hadn't provided them something that couldn't be easily replaced. Well, after the game day morning skate, we got an answer to that question as young Akira Smid was the first goalie off the ice for the Devils and most likely earned another start in game four due to his great performance between the pipes. The MSG was absolutely pumping straight from the get-go and both teams got good chances right early on, thanks to early power plays for both teams and pretty much for the first time we really saw the Devils being able to utilize their speed to the neutral zone, which the Rangers had been able to eliminate fairly effectively to that point. The second period started off well for the Rangers as Chris Kreider got to snipe one past mid on an odd man rush, but then they got into some penalty trouble and Jack Hughes tied the game on a power play with his patented wrister from the left wall. Rangers took control of the game after Hughes' goal but missed a lot of great scoring chances while their power play struggled way more than in their previous battles and due to these aspects the score kept close and teams headed to the overtime as a result so one could say that the Devils were lucky to not get punished for some undisciplined play. Devils' chances were few and far in between in the third period, but it came to the overtime with more energy and had the best chances early on and eventually grabbed their first win of the series with a beautiful wrist shot from defenseman Dougie Hamilton. 
you could really sense the frustration from the Rangers top line players. And now they head to the second game in the MSG with a small dent in their armor. Agera Schmid was tremendous in his playoff debut. And although the luck was on his side this time, there's no doubt about the fact that he brought a lot of confidence for the team with his performance. So in conclusion, currently the Bruins, Leafs, Rangers, Canes, Knights, Kings, Avs and the Wild lead their series 2-1 when heading to the fourth games of each matchup. We've seen a lot of exciting action already through the first three games, so only more could be expected as the rivalries start to grow. And already after the next games, we are going to see some situations where team seasons are on the line, so desperation will come into play as well, so the excitement won't die down for the rest of the first round games. But that is going to be it for this week's episode. Some early mornings have started to take some juice out of me, but still I haven't been willing to sacrifice some sleep over exciting NHL hockey, so let's just hope that the pace kicks up a notch now that we start to close down the deciding games of each series. Thank you so much for listening, and especially for your support. I hope you enjoyed the first playoff episode, and if you did, press the follow button and the five-star icon to show your support for the show. It doesn't cost you anything and helps the show more than you would believe. Have an awesome week, you beauty. Watch some exciting NHL action. Plus remember to stay tuned, stay safe. Until next time. Booyah.